Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Welcome Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Is Freddie Freeman the safest player in fantasy? Will 2024 be the year of Vinny P? Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank, Scott, and Chris here on Tuesday, February 6th. Today on the show, it's our first base preview. We've got strategy talk, ADP, sleepers, breakouts, busts, our favorite to draft, and much more. Let's get right into it. We know these are going to take a lot of time. Chris, why don't you kick us off? First base feels like a strong position throughout the draft. Elite names up top. The middle round looks solid. Uh, We have some quality depth later on as well. Last year, if you look at the top, we had three first base eligible players finish top 12 overall in roto and categories. Two of the top three hitters in head-to-head points were first base uh, first baseman from last year, Freddie Freeman, and of course, Matt Olson. Uh, first base gained Bryce Harper at the position. And even if you look at the depth a little bit lower down, we had 15 first base eligible players finish in the top 80 overall last season. So it feels like a pretty fruitful position. Yeah, I mean, this is, if you've been playing fantasy baseball for a long time, like there have been a lot of ups and downs with various positions. I think especially second base and third base in the last five years have really fluctuated. First base, I don't want to say it's always the same thing, but it's it's held relatively constant. Like you're always going to have mostly four category contributors at the high end at first base, although this year there is at least one guy who will steal a decent amount of bases. But yeah, I, I think the sorry, my, my cats appear to be fighting. And it's it's distracting me a little bit, so I apologize for that. No, uh, yeah, I think first base is deep with very, very good hitters. If you wanted to argue that like shortstop is a little deeper overall because there's more breadth of skills, that's probably fine. But first base, like if you're not getting a bunch of RBI and home runs from your first baseman, you're falling behind. Uh, the competition. And so I think that's the the key thing you have to keep in mind. I think first base shines, especially toward like the middle late portion of drafts, which is kind of the opposite of shortstop. Shortstop is kind of stacked at the top, but then there comes a point in leagues where you roster an extra middle infielder, like a standard roto league with an extra middle infield spot where shortstop, you can get left out there and, and you're never really going to get left out at first base. My strategy at first base is is less intentional than at any other position. I kind of just, when it's the right time to take a first baseman, I take him. If that means Freddie Freeman in the middle of round one, if that means Matt Olson early in round two, if that means Pete Alonzo at some point in round three. You know, if, if it's the right time, if it's the most sensible move, I'll go ahead and take advantage. But... it's not like I'm stressed about filling that position because there are quality options throughout the draft. I have a feeling a lot of people's corner infielders will have first base eligibility as well because, again, that just kind of lends itself to the depth. I I actually think third base might be even deeper than Mm. first base. So Mm. I I find that's not the case with my own drafts, but that's all the more reason why you can not stress at either corner and field spot. It's it's not something 
you have to stress about early. I, I would be more likely to invest in an, a, a top-end first baseman than a top-end third baseman, I would say, because I like the later options of third base even more and because I think the top-end first baseman stand out more than the top-end third baseman do. Like you said, I mean, two, a first baseman was number two and three in fantasy last year, and that's two years in a row, actually. Different first baseman, but two years in a row that... that uh, Two of the top three players have been first baseman. Chris, how are we doing? How are the cats? I, I, I don't know what happened. All right. I don't know if you guys could hear. There is commotion going on behind me. I turn around. And one of my cats is just stuck in the corner of the room. <laughs> I go over there to look. She somehow got her paw under the door and then got caught in the wood. I, I don't know what she did. But she's like hissing and scratching and biting as I'm trying to get her. I'm very stressed right now. I'm sorry. What did I miss? All you missed was us talking about how deep the position is and a little bit on Scott's strategy. Let's get into ADP and we will start, uh, of course, like we did with the catchers. We're using Fantasy Pros ADP, which incorporates five different websites, ESPN, Yahoo, CBS, RT Sports, and the NFBC. The number one first baseman, no surprise, Freddie Freeman with an ADP of 8.4, the same exact ADP as Juan Soto. Freeman, the model of consistency, has finished as a top three player in Roto and a top three hitter in head-to-head points two years in a row. He's hit 325 or higher three of the past four years. We saw the home runs come back up last year to 29, a career-high 23 steals. The counting stats were amazing, 233 runs plus RBI. And that was before the Dodgers added Shohei Otani to their lineup this offseason. Freeman is also one of the most durable players. So if you consider that in the early rounds that you just really want safety, Freeman has missed 11 total games over the past six years, which is almost unheard of in this game. Scott, I know that Freeman is 34 years old. The only decline that I found in his game was the average exit velocity and hard hit rate that came down a little bit, but it didn't matter. He was still money. He was amazing. Is Freddie Freeman the safest player in fantasy baseball? Maybe. I, I You look at his ADP, I'm surprised how low it is. I, I, I've seen him go late in round one in some drafts when, to me, he's the, he's the number five overall player in Roto. Number two, I guess, in points leagues. Or maybe number three. Maybe I'm high in Mookie Betts in points leagues. But uh, I have him higher than the consensus. And... Part of it is because he has been so bankable year after year, no health concerns, uh, no performance concerns. He's the safest bet of anybody for batting average and has been for almost a decade at this point. You know he's going to hit 300 and he might hit well over 300. And since he's... You know, it is in his last years with the Braves when that was an elite offense, and since joining the Dodgers, and that's been an elite offense. His run in RBI production as somebody who gets on base a ton, as somebody who, you know, has power on on top of the high batting average and the on base skills, like his run in RBI production. You said it; it's it's incredible, and that does so much to distinguish a player in a way that gets overlooked. And what's really 
taken Freddie Freeman from being a consistent late first rounder in my mind to a mid first rounder is the stolen base production the last mm-hmm. two years. He came up with 13 in his first year with the Dodgers two years ago. We said, oh, that's great, but he'll never do it again. And then it was 23 the following year. It ended up being about as impactful each year because of the way stolen bases increased around the league. And and that's why he's been the number two player or I guess a top three player in fantasy each of the two years. You didn't see that in the years when he wasn't stealing bases, but now that he is, yeah, he's Freddie Freeman's amazing. And uh, don't overlook him once the crazy 40 to 50 steal guys are gone at the top of round one. The one case against him, against drafting him that high in a roto league, as high as fifth overall in a roto league or even sixth overall, is if, what happens then if Matt Olson slides mm-hmm. to you in round two, which is possible. I think he should go earlier than that, but he doesn't always. If he slides to you in round two, are you willing to start your draft first baseman, first baseman? I, hey, they were two of the top three players last year. Or even if it's not Matt Olson, there's a good chance Bryce Harper will mm-hmm. be the most logical pick uh, in round two at, what would it be, 18, 19 overall? So you may end up feeling like you have to take a lesser player because you took Freddie Freeman in round one. And that's less of a concern for me in Roto just because I do have that extra corner infield spot. But like, it's a legit issue in a points league. If you, uh, you know, especially because that is probably both Harper and Olsen's better format. And so if you take Freeman third overall, which I think is perfectly reasonable, and then you get to the second round, you can't use your utility spot that early, can you? I mean, I guess you can if you're drafting Shohei Otani already. So yeah, I, know, I mean, I, it depends who else is there. Like if if it's if if it's Austin Riley or Matt Olson, in it, particularly in a points league, which is Austin Riley's lesser format, mm-hmm. I, I think I just suck it up and take yeah. Olson. Bottom line is, you don't know how the second round's gonna go. That shouldn't. I don't impact think I worry yeah. about it. You know, yeah. it's if it happens. Be Gen- know what you want to do if it happens. I guess. What Generally saying. speaking, oh no, I have too many good players isn't actually an issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the old ad- adage in fantasy, you can't win your league in the first round. Maybe you did with Acuna last year, but you can certainly lose it. And I can tell you right now, you won't lose it by drafting Freddie Freeman. I think he is, if Acuna is the safest, I, I think Freddie Freeman might be number two right up there with him. Uh, Before we get to Matt Olson, a reminder, Super Bowl week is here. Stream wall-to-wall coverage with our CBS Sports HQ team of hosts, insiders, and analysts as they tackle the biggest storylines, interview the game's brightest stars, and keep you up to date with the latest betting odds and much more. Leading up to the best Sunday of the year, the 49ers taking on the Chiefs this Sunday in the Super Bowl. Let's get into Freddie Freeman. Uh, nope, not Freddie Freeman. Number two is Matt Olson, the ADP of uh, 15.8, going right after Trey Turner and just ahead of Rafael Devers. Career year for Matt Olson, career highs across the board. He hit 283, 54 home runs, 127 runs, 139 RBI, a 993 OPS, 139 RBI, led MLB by far. Ridiculous season for the Braves lineup and for Matt Olson. How he hit the ball harder than ever before. I mean, just outlier stat cast stuff that we're talking about. 99th percentile exit velocity, 96th percentile barrel rate. Just really crazy stuff. And he is about as durable as Freddie Freeman. Olsen has missed six games over the past four years total. 
He has missed zero games over the past two years. Since joining the Braves, has not missed a single game. We were talking beforehand. I just can't get over the fact that you're buying off of a career year. Matt Olson is in his prime age. I guess it's possible that he comes close, or maybe you can argue he doesn't even need to come close to pay off where he's being drafted right now. But I just, I don't like the idea of paying for a career year, and that is what it feels like we're doing right now with Matt Olson. Scott, you get well, the first word. Well, maybe, but, I, and I'm, I'm not saying this to be pedantic, and that's what Chris accused me of before the podcast, right? You're not, because Matt Olson was the number two player in Roto Leagues. He was the number three player in Points Leagues. You're not paying for him as if he was the number two or number three player. You're, you're paying for him as if he was the number 14, number 15 player. And there, that's, that's a big difference, first of all. Another thing I will point out is a lot of what you're buying with Matt Olson is into you're, you're buying the Braves lineup because you you said a minute ago Freddie Freeman's run in RBI production last year was insane 233 Matt Olson's was 266 it was way ahead of Freeman and I think I think we all agree that lineup's still going to be amazing and I, that you may have noticed from our catcher preview that is, that's something I'm paying a lot more attention to this year is the players run an RBI potential because I kind of just took it for granted for the most part. If they were a power hitter, if if there were if they were just a good enough hitter overall, the runs in RBI would come. But I've had back to back years now in Tout Wars, a 15 team roto league where I finished very high in home runs and very low in runs in RBI. So like I, I got to get to the bottom of why this keeps happening. And part of it is I need to make sure I nail those runs in RBI early in drafts. I think Matt Olson, I mean, 266 combined last year, I think he he very much takes care of that. Is he going to hit 54 home runs? Maybe he'll only hit 44. I don't know. But he'll definitely live up to his cost, I think, if 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 that's the case. And, you know, if if he doesn't regress as much as law of averages suggests he will, then you'll get a steal at that point. You'll... I we had one mock draft earlier this year where the guy drafting first overall got Ronald Acuna and then Freddie and, and then Matt Olson made it all the way back to him at the end of round two. He started his draft with the numbers one and two players in fantasy last year, which should not happen. Uh, but that suggests to me that Matt Olson's being he's potentially being undervalued a bit here in drafts. Yeah, look, if he makes it to the end of like the two, three turn, that's not far off from where he was going last year. I, I guess my point is that. He's being drafted higher now than he ever has before medals. And as you know, a borderline first-round pick, the expected numbers say that he overachieved a bit last year. He severely lowered the strikeout rate in the second half. Is that something that can maintain? I, I just yeah, have. He had three twenty-one in the second half, and we've seen him have what a better than a seventeen percent strikeout rate for a full season before. It was his his last year in Oakland, right? Right, but then he regressed to. 24% the following season. So and I, he, and then he I think back he's, the other way. I think he's a 23 to 24% striker. And, and I think the thing to keep in mind is like Matt Olson hits the ball really hard. Well, Aaron judge hits the ball really hard as well. His pace went from one or 62 in 2022 to, I think it was 56 or 57, which is, that's still a lot. <laughs> But Pete Alonso in 2019, his pace went from 53 to 56. Uh, Aaron Judge in 2017, he he went from 52 to, I think it was 39. Uh, Giancarlo Stan, 59 to 38. 
you almost never see a guy hit 50 home runs and then back it up with a comparable season. There's always regression from there. The basically only counterpoints to that are like Sammy Sosa's three straight 60 home run seasons. But like for the most part, 50 home runs is, is pretty impossible to, to follow up. And he doesn't need to hit 54 home runs again. But, you know, we did see Matt Olson in the same lineup, in the same ballpark in, in 2022 with, what, 187 combined runs in RBI? Yep. 189. So, 189. So, like, he's going to be very, very good. But he's been a volatile player in his career. I, I think he... Hit he played over his head last season. None of this is to suggest you should not take Matt Olson in the second round. I think he's an obvious second rounder. It's just there are paths where this goes wrong. Uh, now, if it goes wrong, he probably still hits 38 home runs and drives in 110 runs, and like it's not going to go too wrong. But you know, there, there are there are reasons to believe that he's not going to repeat what he did last year, and I don't think. Just saying, well, he was the number two player last year provides the full explanation for why he's going where he is. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll get to uh, Bryce Harper and keep things moving here with ADP right after this. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to grow in your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. The number three first baseman in ADP is Bryce Harper at 23.6. That's right. First baseman Bryce Harper, likely not to play the outfield anymore, entering his age 31 season, got off to a slow start in his return from elbow surgery last year. He flipped a switch in August. Over the final two months, he hit 299 with 16 home runs, a 1067 OPS, 93.3 average exit velocity, and a near 21% barrel rate over that uh, final two-month stretch. He also crushed it in the postseason. Bryce Harper's last full season was back in 2021. And he finished as the 10th overall player in Roto. I think he can get back to that level of production. Chris, call me crazy. I have Bryce Harper ranked higher than Matt Olson in Roto and categories just because I like what he provides more early on in drafts. He's going to give you a better batting average, a 287 XBA or better four years in a row. He's going to chip into 10 to 15 steals. And I think the Phillies lineup is going to be really, really good as well. Not as good as the Braves. I will agree with that. But... I just like what Bryce Harper provides a little bit more skill set wise. And and you look at the just the quality of contact, not even taking into account the fact that Bryce Harper strikes out a little bit less than Matt Olson or, or the fact that he's a little bit better of an athlete. But just what happens when he swung the bat and made contact with it? His expected Wobon contact was 470 last season. Matt Olson's was 470 as well. I, Matt Olson was a lot better in real life. And maybe there are reasons why. 
Bryce Harper will underperform that and Brett Matt Olson won't. I don't necessarily know if either of their careers give us good reason to think that, but it's possible that there's something there that will make Matt Olson outperform Bryce Harper. But I think when you take the full breadth of their skill sets into account, I think Matt Bryce Harper is a very, very similar hitter overall. The shape of it is a little different, but the fact that he might steal 15 bases, you know, which is about what he was on pace for last season. I think it's reasonable to put Bryce Harper ahead of Matt Olson. I don't have it ranked that way, but I've got Bryce Harper one spot overall lower than Matt Olson in my top 300. So it's, it's not really, and that's in Roto. So it's not really like I strongly disagree with you. Yeah, and look, I think both players are going to be standouts in head-to-head points leagues, both Olsen and Bryce Harper. I have Olsen, I think, a couple spots higher in head-to-head points, but again, in a categories league, I, I do like that potential better batting average and, and a few steals there from Harper as well. Let's uh, we, go ahead. We should probably point out with Harper's numbers that, I mean, considering this is the first base preview and it's something we cite all the time on regular shows, he... The home run distribution last season for Bryce Harper as he was coming back from Tommy John surgery. Um, so through his first 73 games, he hit just five home runs. Didn't seem like didn't seem like that's that swing was all the way there. So that's mm-hmm. through July. 73 games, five home runs. And then in his final 53 games, 16 home runs. So the power came back very suddenly. It carried over into the postseason where he had five home runs. And um, yeah, I would say that if you're just comparing their numbers side by side, Harper and Olsen are closer than they appear. Harper has a a bit of a health history that, you know, we were just talking about how durability is a point in Olsen's favor. It's it's a point against Harper, mm-hmm. I would say. But, you know, I don't have them that far apart either. Let's move down to two more first basemen who are going right next to each other in the early third round, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Pete Alonzo. Vlad Jr., the ADP, is 26.8, the fourth first baseman off the board. And he's been a hard one for me to figure out this offseason. Uh, he's let us down two years in a row in terms of not living up to you know what he provided back in 2021 when he was an MVP candidate. As we all know by now, that 2021 season potentially helped out by playing in two minor league ballparks that were extremely hitter friendly. Vlad wound up hitting 48 home runs with a 10.02 OPS that year. Again, it's a, a clear outlier for him. Last year, it seemed like he was pretty damn unlucky. If you look at the expected stats, his 295 XBA was in the 96th percentile. He only hit 264 last year. We saw something similar with the slugging percentage. And then there's this. Vlad acknowledged to ESPN that a pair of injuries hampered him in 2023 first a nagging wrist earlier in the season and later a knee which he dealt with on may 17th he actually went for an mri i think in september so it it sounds like it could have been something that was lingering Uh, he had this to say one of the things that mostly got in the way my way last year was health but i've learned a lot about that about how to take care of my body a lot more is the third round enough of a discount scott for you to jump in on vlad jr yeah, it is. And I'm kind of surprised everybody dropped him that low. I, I had him early in the third round. As as I've said before, my rankings, I, I come out with them before any sort of ADP data comes out. So it's always kind of surprising how much my rankings do or don't match up with that early ADP data. I thought I'd be low on Guerrero. It turns out I'm a little high on him, ranking him early in round three. 
And part of the reason I'm surprised is because, you know, people live and die by the StatCast page these days. And Vladimir Guerrero's StatCast page is still amazing. His 295 expected batting average last year, 96th percentile, uh, 498 X slug, 87th percentile. That expected batting average and X slug was kind of halfway in between the amazing 2021 season he had where he came close to a triple crown, was the top player in fantasy, and the underwhelming 2022 season. So, like, he, in in the underlying numbers, he made up a lot of ground from 2022 to 2023. And it just wasn't there in the, uh, in the actual production. I think round three... You know, he didn't quite perform up to the level of a third rounder last year, but if he falls short again, you can live with him in that range. And there's a good chance he bounces back with first round production again. So I think it's an appropriate discount for him. I do consider it a discount, you know, depending on, I, I don't think I've had occasion to draft him yet this year, but I, I wouldn't hesitate to if, 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 uh, you know, like the, the top second baseman are gone at that point and Vlad, uh, you know what? I, I think, uh, I think I have him ranked in between the second baseman. I'm, I'm referring to Jose Altuve, Ozzy Albies, and Marcus Simeon. I have Vladimir Guerrero valued about the same as them. Let's talk about Pete Alonso, who is going at about the same point as Vlad in drafts. 27 is the ADP for Alonso, the fifth first baseman off the board. He is the premier power hitter in baseball in terms of consistency since he's entered the league. He leads baseball with 192 home runs since the start of 2019. Batting average did take a bit of a tumble last year down to 217, where Alonzo hit 271 in 2022, 262 in 2021. His BABIP was just 205 last year. I know this the line drive rate came down, but I don't think that's enough of a reason for him to have a 205 BABIP. That just seems really, really low for Pete Alonzo. If you remember, he missed time in the middle part of the season in June with a wrist injury, got hit by a pitch on his wrist. Mm -hmm. 25 games after returning, he only hit 132 with four homers and a 549 OPS. So that seems like a pretty valid reason for some of the struggles. Uh, it seems like Alonzo's poised for a bounce back year here, Chris. He's entering a contract year. Who would you rather have, Alonzo or Vlad? They're going basically at the same spot. It's Alonzo for me. I have him about seven spots, I believe, ahead of Vlad in the overall rankings. And if you wanted to pick Vlad, I think that's fine. I think Pete Alonzo brings a safer skill set. You know you're going to get elite production from him in three categories. And last year's batting average, I, I don't think you take anything from it. He... Like you said, he had the wrist injury. He also had the 205 BABIP. The expected batting average was 246. He's It's never going to be a strength for him. But a 246 batting average, when it comes with 46 homers and 210 combined runs in RBI last season, that's you can easily live with that. And, and if Pete Alonso and Matt Olson had basically identical seasons, I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know, we saw maybe the a downside outcome for Alonzo in 2023. We saw a downside outcome from Olsen a little bit in 2022. Overall, their production over the past two seasons, probably pretty similar. And so I think you could make a case that Alonzo probably belongs closer to Olsen and Harper than he does Vlad Jr. at this point. 
Yeah, I have Alonzo ahead of Guerrero too. So maybe that's part of the reason I haven't drafted Guerrero yet is because uh, people are even further, people are even lower on Alonzo than Guerrero. It, it is kind of incredible to rank Alonzo this high considering he just hit 217, but he really wasn't a batting average liability at all the previous two years. He hit 271 mm-hmm. in 2022. He hit 262 in 2021. And he's kind of an average batting average guy, if not a little above average. Both mm-hmm. of those years, he had a strikeout rate under 20%. Uh, it climbed a little last year, but I think, you know, a lot of the drop-off coincided with that wrist injury. And I'm willing to give him a pass for it, especially since he still hit 400. He still hit 46 home runs, drove in 118. Yeah, a contract year. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would be surprised if Alonzo goes out there, hits 50-plus homers this year, big counting stats. It's just... It seems like it's it's uh it's in the realm of possibilities, in the range of outcomes for Pete Alonzo. After Vlad and Alonzo, you drop down a few rounds and you get to Cody Bellinger, who, who has first base and outfield eligibility. 54.6 is the ADP as the sixth first baseman off the board. Maybe the hardest player to figure out this offseason, and perhaps that's why he remains a free agent here on February 6th. After three awful seasons from 2020 to 2022 with the Dodgers, I guess... I don't know, two and a third seasons, two and a quarter season, whatever you want to call it, 2020. Uh, Bellinger signed a one-year deal with the Cubs, and he was a true league winner. I mean, he was going around pick 175, 200 last year. He went out, he hit 307, 26 homers, 20 steals. He was one of 19 hitters to go 2020 last year. How did he do it? He lowered the strikeout rate down to 15.6%. He pulled a bunch of fly balls, completely changed his approach with two strikes. He was one of the best situational hitters in the game last year. The question, and it's a massive one, can he maintain all of those gains? I don't know. I don't know that anybody knows that right now. Bellinger was a huge overachiever in terms of stat cast data as well. Scott, what do we do with Cody Bellinger? So he was the 10th biggest overachiever by expected batting average. He was the 5th biggest overachiever by X-slug. Normally, the way you see a player do that is he excels at pulling the ball in the air, like he's an outlier for that, and Cody Bellinger really isn't. So it was it was a head-scratcher all year as it was happening, and it's even more of a head-scratcher now. And what that probably means is you should bet against it. The two... The, the the three things I can say for Cody Bellinger is that, okay, there's no dismissing the improvement in strikeout rate. It was a great strikeout rate. That's, that's a valuable skill that could make up for a lack of power. He runs. He's one of the few first baseman eligible players who does. He's athletic. Uh, that's going to remain a part of his skill set and hopefully make up for any losses in power as well. He's outfield eligible. That's the third thing. And that's the reason why, even though I'm betting against a repeat season for Cody Bellinger, I have him on my my bust 1.0. I find myself drafting him a decent amount of time, particularly in five outfielder leagues, in that round five range, because I know the drop-off in the outfield is coming, and it is steep, and it is severe. And Cody Bellinger at least gives me a chance of not uh, being ruined buy it now sometimes that sort of i don't really trust it but it's the best i can do in a bad situation sometimes that sort of pick works out great sometimes it ends up a disaster 
Um, if I don't have, particularly if I don't have a single outfielder at that point in a five outfielder league, I, I find that I'm, I'm rolling the dice on Cody Bellinger just out of need. After Bellinger, you drop down about a round to Paul Goldschmidt at 62.4. He's the seventh first baseman off the board, which is the sixth round in a 12-team league. He still offers a unique skill set at first base, 25 home runs and 11 steals. Uh, still hits the ball really hard, 91.3 average exit velocity, 11.9% barrel rate, but he is entering his age 36 season. We're starting to see... Some cracks, elevated strikeout rate, 23.4%, his highest since 2019. His zone contact rate was below 80%, his lowest since his rookie season. Chris, where are you, where are you at on Goldie? Because I know Scott has him as a bust, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But Chris, where are you at on Goldschmidt entering his age 36 season? I think I have him maybe a little bit below ADP. It's really hard to ask a player to bounce back from a decline multiple times in their thirties, right? Like that's, that's a hard trick to pull off once. And, and look, maybe the fact that he's already done it suggests that he's more well-equipped than most 36 year olds to come back from a decline. And it's worth noting that the surface level numbers overstate the extent to which he declined more than the underlying numbers, which I think might reflect that he overperformed in 2022 and maybe underperformed a little bit in 2023 and maybe 2024 comes out somewhere in the middle. I, I think that's a reasonable uh, explanation or expectation, but you also have to keep in mind that he's a 36 year old and further decline from the baseline skill set should be expected from where he's at. So all in all, I, I think He's fine here if you miss that first round of uh, elite first baseman. I tend to just want to avoid this group of first basemen, I think a little more than the early or, or later guys. So it, it might just be a situation where while I'm not much lower on the on, on Paul Goldschmidt than the consensus, I'm probably still low enough that I'm not going to draft him. All right, I'm going to go ahead and get into it now, and then I don't have to get into it so much when we talk about our busts at this position. Um, so Goldschmidt started out fine last year. You know, he was coming off an MVP season. It, it, he seemed golden in the first half. In the second half is really where it all went awry. 246 batting average, 763 OPS. His strikeout rate went from 21.8% in the first half to 256 in the second half. Mm -hmm. His average exit velocity went from 93 miles per hour in the first half to 88.7 miles per hour in the second half. Regression or decline, I guess I should say, doesn't always happen neatly from one offseason to the next. It can happen in the middle of the season. We've talked about how old Goldschmidt is. This is the most condemning number for me, though, is his per performance against fastballs. And this is a year-long stat I'm going to cite. This isn't a first-half, second-half thing like those past numbers I cited. So he entered, well, he didn't enter, but he is a career 307 hitter with a 995 OPS against fastballs. Great numbers. Last year, he hit 238 with a 797 OPS against fastballs. Fastball is supposed to be the easiest pitch to hit, but you find as players get older that their production diminishes against fastballs. Their swing slows down a little bit. They have a hard, harder time catching up to that heat. And I think that was Goldschmidt's biggest issue last year, the biggest reason for his struggles. 
and that's a sign of decline. That is, mm-hmm. that is, he just lost a skill there. Um, also, his swinging strike rate on fastballs, 8.7% for his career. It jumped to 10.6% last year. Those are red flags. I think part of the reason why I just don't have much interest in drafting Goldschmidt as all, at all is because there are so many upside players available later than him. I don't. I don't think there's much urgency to draft Goldschmidt. So I, I look at those risks and I say I'm. I'm happy to let somebody else have him here. Can I play devil's advocate? Of course. All right. <laughs> In 2018, Paul Goldschmidt's expected WOBA on fastballs was 433. In 2019, 368. That I remember heading yeah. into the 2020 season. He's, he's having to cheat to catch up to fastballs. The bat's slowing down. And then the next year, 454 expected Woba yeah. against fastballs, 428 in 2021. Here's the interesting one. 387 in 2022, 387 in 2023. Average exit velocity down a little bit, launch angle down a little bit, whiff rate up a little bit, but not so concerning like it it could just be that he's lost enough that there's something that the expected stats are are hiding against fastballs but i i i kind of want to be more down on paul goldschmidt than i end up being when i actually the more i research him like i i i want the i want the underlying numbers to say that he declined more than they do well, what if it, that makes sense, it's kind of reminiscent of Jose Abreu last year because the underlying numbers were like, oh, he's fine. But then you look at the production against fastballs and I don't know. You're right. It, there was this weird blip in the middle of Goldschmidt's career where it looked like his bat was slowing down. Then turned out it was just a fluke. Maybe it's a fluke again. Again, given what follows at this position, I don't see the justification mm-hmm. for betting on it being a fluke again. Sure. One more point in the uh the favor of Paul Goldschmidt is that he has worked with driveline baseball this offseason to try and improve his bat speed. And that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to help, but we have seen it helped other batters in the past. And he's entering. So he was worried about it. That's what that says. It's possible. Yeah. Um, he's putting in the work and he's <laughs> entering a contract year. With that being said, I do typically find myself skipping this group, Bellinger and Paul Goldschmidt. I really like the pitchers that go in this range, like rounds five through seven. So a lot of the time I'm focusing on pitching and I'm not really focusing on any of the first basemen here. Let's take our final break. When we return more ADP Christian Walker coming up right after this. Welcome back in. Let's continue on with first base ADP. And next up we have Christian Walker, who's going at 80.2 as the eighth first baseman off the board. Pretty identical seasons in both 2022 and 2023 where he hit 33-plus homers, 84-plus runs scored, 94-plus RBI. He just provided a career-high 11 steals as well. Quality of contact did take a bit of a step back. He's entering his age 33 season. Chris, I don't really have a reason to be out on Christian Walker, but I just never feel inclined to take him as his ADP. It's one of those things where I just kind of want to be out one year early rather than one year late, but maybe that's not fair to Christian Walker. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, over the past two seasons, only four players have more home runs in RBI than Christian Walker, which is pretty shocking. And while he'll never likely be helpful in batting average, he doesn't generally 
hurt you too much. Like a 242, like he was in 2022, you can live with that. And so I, I think the the gap between Christian Walker and, and Paul Goldschmidt probably needs to be smaller if it needs to exist at all. Christian Walker might just be the the better player for fantasy right now. Um, I get it. He is older than you think. Like you said, he turns 33 soon. So like if there was going to be a drop off, that wouldn't be surprising, but we really haven't seen too many signs of it. Like, yeah, the quality of contact a little bit worse. It resulted in his ex-woba dropping 20 points, but I don't know. Is that enough for me to, to panic about a guy who, just remains really undervalued based on the surface level numbers. Maybe, but I, I don't think so. I guess. So I see Christian Walker, Christian Walker and Paul Goldschmidt are going pretty close together. Um, Those those good first basemen I was talking about going after Goldschmidt, they're still a couple rounds after Walker even. So if I wasn't willing to pay for Goldschmidt, who has MVP caliber upside, Christian Walker, you know, He's probably who he's been the last two years and can't get any better than that, mm-hmm. which is good. I mean, he's a must-start player, but there's not that next level that maybe he could you, – you draft him and he exceeds your expectations. You know, if anything, he's going to fa- drop off. And I just I, – same thing I said for Goldschmidt. Two rounds later, by ADP, there are a first baseman that I'm much more excited about, and so it's it's hard for me to – justify taking Walker here. For yeah, them. I just kind of don't like the middle class of first base and de- defined as Bellinger, Goldschmidt, Walker. Yeah. Well, two names going around 20 picks later, uh, right around the top 100, Spencer Steer and Tristan Casas. Spencer Steer has first base, third base, and outfield eligibility. The ADP is 97.4. He's the ninth first baseman off the board. A strong season last year, finishes a top 70 player. Uh, Spencer Steer, kind of this jack-of-all-trades, master of none. He doesn't really have a standout skill, but he's solid in multiple areas. Pretty good plate discipline as well. Projected to bat in the middle of an exciting Cincinnati Reds lineup. But the quality of contact is lacking. He is a bad defender. And the Reds do have a lot of talent ready to jump in if Steer falters. It's not a foregone conclusion that he will, but they are there. They needed bats either way, is the thing. Like I, I don't even, I don't know, I don't know that it's necessarily if he falters. If he falters, yeah, he's probably getting buried, Spencer Steer. But even if he doesn't falter, they have three left-handed hitting outfielders. Steer, uh, Steer bats right-handed, obviously. Will Benson, T.J. Friedel. Um, Jake Fraley. I'm not saying they deserve more at-bats than Spencer Steer to start the season, but they deserve to get some at-bats. And meanwhile, they're overloaded on the infield. They have two more players than they can play there in Christian Encarnacion, Strand, and Jonathan India. And that's before you even include Steer in the mix if he gets any infield time at all. So, yeah, I think he'll I think he'll be penciled in their starting nine on opening day, but I don't think it'll be as regularly as it was last year. And I'm not sure he'll be able to live up the, to. He would be able to live up to last year's production, even if he was in the lineup every day, because it seemed like he he squeezed the maximum possible amount out of what skills he has. So he's not the one I'm excited about either. Really, it's the next guy, Tristan Casas. But I don't know. We'll we'll see if Chris wants to say anything. <laughs> and I I think we're all pretty excited about Tristan Casas. One other point yeah. on Spencer Steer: if you look at the splits too, he crushes left-handed pitching. And he was just kind of okay against righties. A 780 OPS, that's solid. It's 
totally fine. But I don't know. Maybe they will look at it the same way if if he's just so great against lefties and just kind of okay against righties. I, don't or, know, just, I mean, it, it's not even like there there are other potential scenarios that he just gets, gets traded. And a big part of the appeal of Spencer Steer when I liked him as a sleeper last year was, well, scouts don't love the raw power. He's going to play half his games in Cincinnati. Yeah, that stops being the case. I think he looks a lot fringier and you're probably talking about more like a 20 homer ceiling, decent stolen bases, but not difference making stuff. Um, Triple eligibility is really cool. You know, I think that Spencer Steer has a lot going for him that should keep him in your fantasy lineup. I just don't think drafting him as your first baseman at 100 overall makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and maybe most people are drafting him to use him as an outfielder. So, I mean, I kind of get that aspect of it, but... Still, I mean, it's specifically for this position, it's it's probably a no-go for me on Spencer Steer. Tristan Casas is the next name up. The ADP is 99.8, so going right at that similar range as Steer. The 10th first baseman off the board. And uh, looks like Tristan Casas technically already broke out last year in 856 OPS, ranked 6th among first basemen with at least 500 plate appearances. He crushed the ball, 91.1 average exit velocity, a 13% barrel rate. Slow start for Casas, but from June 1st on, he was awesome. He hit 299 with 18 home runs, a 953 OPS. He has the prospect pedigree. The talent is there. The question now, Chris, is will Tristan Casas play every day? He hit just 215. It would be really stupid if he doesn't. I want to get that (laughs) off the bat. Like, yes, he only hit 215 against lefties. 32% strikeout rate. 32, like 215 with a 32% strikeout rate. That's not great. That's not terrible when you walk as much as he does, when you hit the ball with the kind of authority that he did. 456 slug, 817 OPS. He had a, I believe it was a 341 expected WOBA against left-handed, 347 expected WOBA against left-handed pitchers. For context, Spencer Steer's expected WOBA against everyone was 331. I think it would be dumb if the Red Sox didn't play him every day. And down the stretch, he was basically playing every day from the start of the second half until the shoulder injury that ended his season, not considered a a serious concern as far as I know. He started 49 of 56 games. He was on a 45 homer pace. He had 1,034 OPS in those 49 games. I, I really don't have much concern here. I think the, the skill set is legit. He, I think more than clears that, but we talk about that for left-handed, young left-handed hitters, the just don't be terrible against lefties bar. I think he clears that. His home park is not great. That's the one thing that Tristan Casas. It's great for him though. Well, it's it's, it's not great for power. It it, it suppresses left-handed power. It really boosts batting average. Well, so that's the one limitation he might have. One of the things I like about Tristan Casas, and you know, you you mentioned the prospect pedigree. There were three first basemen he was compared to when he was coming up: Cody Bellinger, back when Cody Bellinger was the bee's knees, Joey Votto, and Freddie Freeman. I think it's looking closest to Freeman at this point, to be honest, because of how good. Tristan Casas' opposite field power is. And that's going to play up at Fenway Park. 
And I think it's a I think it's a great venue for him specifically. How much he walks is comparable to Freeman. I think he has those line drive skills. The line drive rate last year wasn't amazing in the majors. It was, it was fine, but it was amazing in the minors. And uh, second half last year, Tristan Casas, his slash line was 317, 417, 617. Um, he's the best player the Red Sox have developed since Rafael Devers. And I think they're going to treat him that way this year. They're, they're, you know, he can't get better against lefties unless he plays against lefties. And they have every incentive to make sure he gets better against lefties. One thing I noticed is that if you look at the uh, minor league splits for Tristan Casas, he was not good against lefties in the minors either. So I, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Tristan Casas is one of my breakouts. So I'm excited about him. And I think it's very likely he does have an awesome season. But again, it's the minor league numbers didn't really line up uh, with great splits either for Tristan Casas. Going about a round after Spencer Steer and Tristan Casas is Yandy Diaz. 109.8 is the ADP, the 11th first baseman off the board. A career year for Diaz last year. He won the AL batting title with a 330 batting average. His 932 OPS was seventh best among qualified hitters. He was awesome. He crushes the ball too. I mean, this isn't, it's basically, you know, him and Matt Olson are in a category of their own because 93.4 average exit velocity, just a tick below Matt Olson in that category. The plate discipline makes Yandy Diaz uh, a head-to-head point standout as well, nearly an 11% walk rate, uh, just a 16% strikeout rate, 3.4 fantasy points per game. We're tied for fourth best at the position last year. I think the biggest question for Diaz is what does the power look like? Because he hit 12 home runs in the first two months. That's when his ground ball rate was 45%. He hit just 10 home runs the final four months of the season when his ground ball rate was 55%. So that regressed. The power kind of went away. I think we're probably getting sub-20 home run power. But uh, Scott, what are your thoughts here on uh, Yandy Diaz coming off a career year? Yeah, coming off a, a career year at age 31. He's 32 now. Um in all likelihood, he doesn't hit 330 again. In all likelihood, he doesn't hit 22 home runs again. I think he probably produces enough to start in fantasy. And I think regression is already baked into his cost here. It would take the right build in a Roto League to make uh, Yandy Diaz your first baseman. But it is worth pointing out that the 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 story changes dramatically if it's a points league because his strikeout to walk ratio is so good and always has been so good that in points leagues Yandy Diaz you should treat him like a stud and I I don't see him treated that way often enough in points league drafts he is uh, let me see if I can pull up the number real quick uh, points per game last year Yandy Diaz was. Somebody talk because it's I, taking a while to load. I, I have 3.4 fantasy points per game, Scott. Tied for fourth best at yeah. first base. Three point, okay, there you go. So he's better than Bryce Harper on a per-game basis, better than Pete Alonso on a per-game basis. I'm not saying you draft him ahead of those guys, but you don't have to. Draft him as a top 10 at first base, and you'll be happy. The last name of the top 12 in ADP at first base, Spencer Torkelson. 123.8 is the ADP. That's an 11th round pick in a 12-team league. He is the 12th first baseman off the board. Again, uh, former first round, first overall pick, figured things out last year. He popped 31 homers, 94 RBI. He raised the launch angle. He hit more fly balls. He pulled the ball more last year as well. The expected stats 
do offer some hope as well. A 253 XBA, a 487 expected slug. Chris, what sucks for uh, Spencer Torkelson is that he plays in Detroit, in Comerica Park, where he hit just 219 with a 697 OPS. He was drastically better on the road. It's just one of those things where if he had a different home park, maybe we're talking about 35, 40 plus home runs for this guy. Yeah, and that's the thing is that power is going to be such a necessary component of Spencer Torkelson's game. You know, even after the all-star break last season, when he was really, really good and, and surely helped a lot of you, you know, make late pushes up the standings. He hit 238 after the all-star break. And now the, the expected batting average gives us hope that he'll be better. His overall expected numbers were just much better than his actual numbers. And, you know, I think some of the changes that they made in moving the fences in in Comerica didn't have a drastic impact, but I, I think we we have reason to believe that it will play better than it has in the past, at least in that regard. A lot of Spencer Torkelson's game is really, really well suited to maximize power. He's a good power hitter who also pulls the ball and hits it in the air and, and does all those things in a way that I think like you said, if you played in a different park, you could talk about 40 homer upside here. It's probably more like 35 homer upside. That's, you know, he, he was a little bit better than that over that second half span. I think he's fine here. You know, I, I think like a poor man's Pete Alonzo isn't an unreasonable expectation for Spencer Torkelson. It's just, when you're doing 35 homers rather than 45 homers, it definitely makes the the 240-ish batting average a lot harder to to swallow. The way I've been putting it is if Spencer Torkelson played at most any other ballpark, he'd have Pete Alonso upside. But be- mm-hmm. because he plays in Detroit, he probably has Christian Walker upside. Sure, that's fair. But he is going, what, 40 picks later than Christian Walker? Sure. Yeah. 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 Almost 45 picks later. Again, the ADP for Torkelson, 123.8. Uh, just for fun, I did want to see what his home runs by ballpark looked like. Just, I don't know. Let's throw uh, Cincinnati out there. 42 home runs yeah, for I mean, Spencer that, Torkelson if you got him out of Detroit. Yeah, if he played funny. in Cincinnati, he <laughs> Spencer Torkelson legitimately might be a top 50 pick. But yeah. to get to to bring it back to the point you were making about how much later he's going than Christian Walker... Because it sounded like maybe I was being neg- negative with Torkelson. Torkelson is one of those first basemen who, because he exists that many picks later, I don't feel the need mm-hmm. to pay up for Christian Walker or Paul, or Paul Goldschmidt. It is worth noting Walker and Goldschmidt, at least based on last season, could steal 10 bases. Spencer Torkelson will probably right. not come particularly close to that. He's actually not much slower than them in terms of sprint speed. He just doesn't run and didn't last year, so we have no reason to think he will. Exactly right. Sleepers, breakouts, bust, and our favorite first baseman to draft in 2024. Scott, why don't you kick us off with your sleeper at first base? Okay. My sleeper is the only one we haven't talked about so far. So it, it's Vinny Pasquantino. Mm-hmm. Who? Who? I like That's for weird. all the reasons. Vinny, Vinny P? Vinny P, baby. Baby. I, liked him, I like him still for all the reasons I liked him last year. Uh and I am kind of shocked to see how far he's fallen in ADP, given that it's easy to dismiss last year based on 
uh, based on the injury he had. So specifically, it was he had a torn labrum in his shoulder. He had it operated on in um, uh, when was it June? So through his first 38 games last year, Vinny Pasquantino was doing exactly what we expected him to do. He was slashing 298, 383, 539. He had the tremendous strikeout to walk ratio. The power was playing every bit like it should. And then he fell into the slump that ended with the shoulder surgery. We don't know exactly when his shoulder began bothering him. There were reports of it bothering him before he stopped playing. We know that much. Mm-hmm. And I think we can probably attribute it to that that steep drop off in production. Um, it's such a small sample that dicing it up doesn't make a lot of sense anyway. But through a month and a half, he was exactly who we thought he was, and and so I I can't get that out of my mind um, when I'm analyzing him. The overall numbers ended up being underwhelming, but I give him a pass because of the shoulder injury, particularly since he's going as late as he is. And I recently read this quote from uh, Vinny P in an article on MLB.com. Quote, I feel like an animal that's been in a cage for nine months. That's kind of the best way I would describe it. I'm ready to the get... The Pasquatch. He is like an animal. <laughs> I'm ready to get out of the cage and that latch just opened a little bit so I can taste it. One more week, I'll be out oh, there yeah. ready to get it fired up and that quote came from this past weekend, so it sounds like he's ready to go. Chris, I know you have Vinny P as your breakout candidate. Yeah, and then the comp I've always made for Vinny P is peak Anthony Rizzo. Without Anthony Rizzo, actually used to steal like 15 to 20 bases pretty regularly. He's not going to do that, but uh, Vinny Pasquantino could be a guy who has great plate discipline, hits around 280 to 290 in his best seasons. I think there's 30-plus homer upside here because he does have a swing that is well-suited to generate the most out of his raw power. So, yeah, I'm I'm a big Vinny P fan. If I didn't go with a 250 ADP range for my sleepers, he very well could have been a sleeper instead of a breakout. Instead, I'm, I'm happy to pick him as a breakout candidate. And you see the fact that both Chris and Scott like Vinny Pasquantino because according to ADP on Fantasy Pros, Vinny Pasquantino 142.6. In CBS, it's 104. At every other site, it's 130 or later. I mean, over at the NFBC, 171. And on CBS, it's 104. So whenever we're doing drafts, Vinny Pasquantino, he's going a little bit earlier. I've got him ahead of Spencer Steer. This season, I, I he's a little bit behind Yandy Diaz, but he's technically my number 14 first baseman because Salvador Perez is there, and that's where he comes out in the catcher rankings. But I del- Vinny P is my 13th. I deleted Salvador Perez from the I, first base rankings because I just no one should use a catcher at first base. I just so rank just, guys everywhere they're eligible. I get it, and you have to. Uh, I don't. I don't love saying Vinny P is my number 14 first baseman. He's my number 13 first baseman. That's exactly He's right. number one in my heart. That's I'll exactly tell you right. that much. Uh, Chris, why don't you give us your sleeper at first base? Yeah, I'll go with Kyle Manzardo, who there, there's some Vinny P in this profile as well. Really, really good plate discipline. Last year was weird. He only hit 320 or 237. For context, the year before he hit 327. Uh, between two different levels. So there wasn't really like a super concerning jump in strikeout rate. I know he dealt with a shoulder injury, I believe, that could explain it. But Camazardo, after getting traded to the Guardians, hit 256 with an OPS well over 900 
Went to the Arizona Fall League, hit six home runs in 22 games with an OPS north of 900. Looks like he's going to have a chance to be in the opening day lineup for the Guardians. They, you know, there's some platoon risk, but yeah, I think Commonsardo has a chance to to really be a a pretty impactful fantasy option, and he's essentially free right now. The ADP for Kyle Manzardo, 335.5. So, yes, uh, basically free. And in addition to the injury he was dealing with last year, sounds like he had some off-field issues, uh, some stuff going on that, you know, obviously could have taken some of his attention away. So, uh, mm-hmm. Kyle Manzardo going very late in drafts, a name that you need to know. Sleeper for me, I'll save Jamer Candelario for the uh, third base sleeper when we do that later in the week. And I will go with... The homer pick. Anthony Rizzo, a big opportunity here for Rizzo uh, if he's back to full health. That's, I think, a big if. Post-concussion syndrome last year. Nothing to joke about. But before he got hurt, he looks like prime Anthony Rizzo. I mean, he was crushing it. He hit 304 with 11 home runs and 880 OPS in his first 53 games. He got back to hitting line drives. He wasn't just selling out for fly balls and power. I mean, he was just, he was playing his game. Maybe it had something to do with, uh, the shift restrictions and him just, you know, getting back to his old ways, but he looked good and he's currently projected to back cleanup in that Yankees lineup behind Aaron judge and Juan Soto. There's a potential for big counting stats here. And Anthony Rizzo is going uh, very late in drafts. The ADP is 295.4. So you could, all right. Much- it, for- I just want to have a little fun. Don't take this seriously. I'm just trolling Frank. Okay. Would you like to know how many players had a shorter average home run distance than Anthony Rizzo last season. Five. Too high. Ah. It's three. Aledmus Diaz, Jeff McNeil, and this is hilarious. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. <laughs> Those are the only three players hey. whose home runs traveled less far than Anthony Rizzo's 377 feet, but... He still he's, plays in that little league ballpark. He's exactly still a Yankee right. Stadium. Exactly. I, I don't know about for you, Frank, but for me, like I, I think of Anthony Rizzo as a sleeper as well. It's not the sort of sleeper though where it's like, okay, I know I can leave first base or more realistically corner infield unoccupied because I can, I can bank on Anthony Rizzo being there late. I don't have such a high degree of confidence that he'll return to who he was through mid-May. It's just that. For the cost, mm-hmm. the upside, there's a clear disparity there that I'd like to take advantage of as a bench piece. Yeah, or even, again, as you know, in a deeper league, a corner infielder or a utility bat, whatever it might be. But the point is, the ADP is around 300, and you know, Anthony Rizzo is basically free at this point. Break but out- it, it is worth, like you mentioned, the post-concussion syndrome, like Joe Maurer, Justin Morneau. Like the, there are a Corey decent number Costi. of players who it's just – it can really wreck your career. And and so hopefully that's not the case for Anthony Rizzo. Breakouts. Chris, you had Vinny Pasquantino. We talked about him. Uh, Scott and I both have Tristan Costas as breakouts. We, I would love to have him as a breakout as well. Mostly count, count about me him. on board. Uh, anything else to add, Scott, on Costas? I feel like nah, I think we covered it all. All right. And then with the busts, Scott, you talked about Paul Goldschmidt. Chris, you uh, did you get to talk about Cody Bellinger? I don't think you did. Did you? Nope. No, but I've talked about Cody Ballinger plenty. I uh, We covered it all, though. It's, there might be some combination of things that leads Cody Ballinger to continue to outperform his expected stats the way he did last season. You know, 
He is a good athlete. He hits the ball in the air to the pull side a decent amount. None of that wasn't there before last season, and we had never seen him outperform his expected stats in that same way. So I don't really believe that there's like a skill there. It's possible I'll be wrong, but it's not a bet I'm willing to make. And I I feel the fact that he's having such a hard time getting the contract he wants makes me feel a little better about that because clearly MLB teams don't know what to make of him as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I do want to make the point where I said, okay, I, I, I kind of feel forced to take him for my outfield sometimes in round five. There's a scenario. He hasn't signed yet, obviously. Mm-hmm. Depending where he signs, I could be all the way out. You know, if he goes with the Cubs, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. If he goes to the Yankees, that, that's not really rumored right now, but that'd be a great destination. Yeah, that, that, that I, I would probably change if, my tune there. If he goes to the Giants? Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. I think, yeah, all the way out if he's in, in San Francisco. All right, and then a bust for me, Spencer Steer. We spoke about him and, and how we're skeptical and how the Reds have a lot of talent there, and, and so we do worry about things. Um, maybe the floor being a little bit lower than I think people are giving Spencer Steer credit for. The Our favorites to draft based on ADP. Uh, Chris, I noticed you have... Uh, there's one name here that you haven't talked about, but feel free to mention all three. Yeah, Tristan Casas, Bryce Harper, and the guy we haven't talked about is Josh Naylor, who... We talked about a little bit on the uh, projections pod with Ariel Cohen. He really likes him. I think there's a lot to like with Josh Naylor. You know, the biggest thing for me is it's hard to find players who are RBI standouts, like who are RBI specialists, I guess is the better way to put it. Guys who, if you get a lot of RBI, it's usually because you're really, really good. And guys who are really, really good tend to get drafted really, really early. But over the past two seasons, Josh Naylor's, 162 game pace for RBI is 117. He's done that with an 807 OPS, which is decent, but nothing to write home about 25 homers. He just, he makes a lot of contact. He hits a lot of line drives. He plays behind some really good on base guys. So I think Josh Naylor, it's probably at best like a two or three category contributor, but he's also got some steals in a way that makes you think that, there could be all around upside for Josh Naylor, and he's, I think, very, very cheap relative to what he could provide. They, he's another great choice for points leagues, 3.22 yes. points per game for Josh Naylor last year. That's basically identical to Christian Walker. Mm-hmm. The ADP for Josh Naylor is 130.2 is the 13th third ba- uh, first baseman off the board. I think he's good for both formats, but I agree, mm-hmm. Scott. I mean, 3.2 fantasy points per game, that's a standout there. He's projected to hit 280, 21 homers, 86 RBI, eight steals. And that's similar to what Spencer Steer did last year. I I think the batting average maybe could be even a touch higher for Josh Naylor. So I I do like the skill set quite a bit myself as well. Scott, one of your favorite first baseman in drafts is a name we have not talked about yet. Yeah, and uh, since I already used Vinny Pasquantino for sleeper, I will choose Reese Hoskins for this category. And I don't know how long... This will be the case. Uh, I should have looked up how his ADP has changed since the word word of him signing with the Brewers in late January. But his ADP is insanely low. Uh, okay, so since that news on NFBC, he's still going like 180th on average, mm-hmm. the, the 18th first baseman off the board. And I feel like 
you know, considering he's coming back from a torn ACL, shouldn't impact his power production, especially since he's had a full year to recover. He's not trying to rush back like Ronald Acuna was two years ago. I think we can count on Reese Hoskins basically just picking up where he left off and being a 240 hitting 30 homer guy, another great ballpark in Milwaukee. Uh, I, I think those numbers are highly undervalued at that stage of the draft where he's going. Mm-hmm. And I would like to get him as my corner infielder in every Roto League. In the three seasons that Reese Hoskins has played over 150 games, he's been between 29 and 34 homers, between 81 and 89 runs scored, between 79 and 96 RBI. He basically always hits between 240 and 250. So there's something to be said for consistency and knowing what you're going to get from a player assuming that they're healthy. Favorite to draft for me, I'm with you, Chris. Bryce Harper, Tristan Costas, two names that uh, I highlighted. I I really like those guys. I think in auction salary cap drafts, I'm going to wind up getting Bryce Harper in a lot of of those formats because I think he's probably going to go for around 30 bucks, maybe upper $20 in that format. And I really do think he can provide first-round value. So Mm -hmm. uh, definitely someone I'm going to be looking to uh, to draft a lot of this year. Scott, Harper is one of your first-round caliber players, right? Yeah. You're 16? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's now down to 16 with Corey Seager getting injured. He might might be number 16, Harper, toward the back end, but I I do count him as one of the first-round caliber hitters. Yes. Back to first base ADP via Fantasy Pros. We left off with Spencer Torkelson. Uh, Josh Naylor was the next name up. We just spoke about him. I think there's a lot to like there. Vinny Pasquantino, the 14th first baseman off the board. We obviously talked about him. Christian Encarnacion Strand, someone we have not talked about yet. 146.4 is the ADP. 15th first baseman off the board. This dude was a monster in the minors. Not just last year. You look at his minor league career. 322 batting average, a 990 OPS. He got called up last year. Took him a little bit of time to get going. The final 24 games for Encarnacion Strand, a 333 batting average, nine homers, 1055 OPS, a 17% barrel rate. He hits the ball hard. Places discipline needs a little work. The questions are the playing time, Scott. I mean, roster resource currently has Encarnacion Strand on the bench. Candelario at first base, Noel V. Marte at third, Jonathan India at DH. It's just kind of messy right now, but I still think there's a lot of upside with Encarnacion Strand. Oh, there is. And and look, maybe injuries will clear this this log jam up for the Reds. I suspect, despite what what um, roster resource is saying, I, I suspect Christian Encarnacion Strand will get more DH at bats than any other Reds player this year. But y- you can't think, given all the excess they have there, that it's going to be every single day. And so that's why I'm I'm not so enthusiastic about drafting him. I'd rather wait and draft Reese Hoskins and, and probably get an equivalent number of home runs, if not an equivalent batting average. Um, so that's, yeah, that's that's kind of killed my enthusiasm for Encarnacion Strand. The fact that the, the Reds weren't able to trade away John, Jonathan India this offseason. They still could, I guess, but it doesn't sound like they're going to. It's just too many mouths to feed, and he hasn't earned an everyday spot in that lineup yet. I will also say big difference in Encarnacion Strand's value and Roto points leagues. You mentioned the plate discipline was bad. Uh, Far less interested in drafting him in that format. I I would just say as a general rule for the Reds, and we're going to talk a lot about the Reds in second base and third base and shortstop previews as well. Um, And this is going to apply to all of that. I think it kind of feel like it applies to everybody, but 
Jamer Candelario, given what they invested in him, there's a lot of pressure on pretty much everyone in this lineup to hit. And I think the first month of the season is going to be a lot of frustration among the fantasy community where there's going to be a lot of, how could you sit Christian Encarnacion? Or like someone's going to have to sit when you look at this team, like Jake Fraley's a good hitter against right-handed pitchers, you know, like that it's going to be hard to keep all these guys out of the lineup. And so the thing you have to keep in mind with Matt McLean and, and Spencer Steer and Ellie De La Cruz, Noel V. Marte, Christian Encarnacio, Stan, Trent, all these guys we really like is like, Two of them might be in AAA by May. Two of them might be on a different team by August. I would bet two of them are on a different team by August, one way or the other. And so what you have to keep in mind is if you hit on which ones you bet on, there is significant upside with all those guys. There is legitimate you are dropping them downside with every single one of them, I think. And if you don't believe me, I I would just look at Jonathan or uh, Jordan Walker last year where he got sent down for a month because he just he wasn't doing enough with the opportunities and they had a log jam and it eventually worked out and he was okay. But I think you have to keep that in mind with with CES and, and all those guys in, in Cincinnati. It's just there's significant downside risk. Four first base eligible players going between picks 150 and 200. This kind of feels like we're entering the corner infield range of drafts now at this point. Alec Bohm, who also has third base eligibility, the ADP is 153.4. Mm-hmm. Isak Paredes also has third base eligibility, 175.4 is the ADP. And Nathaniel Lowe uh, at 184.8 as the ADP. Reese Hoskins also in this mix, but we just talked about him. <laughs> Scott, any interest in any of these names here? Nathaniel Lowe with the Rangers, Isak Paredes of the Rays, and Alec Bohm with the Phillies. I think Bohm's just kind of a good general fallback option at either corner infield spot going to be pretty helpful in batting average not kill you in home runs and rbi uh i don't think he has a lot of upside from here but i think he's fine i do have isak paredes as a bust candidate for me i should point out because he is kind of i talked earlier this podcast about okay your exit velocity readings aren't great and his stack cast page looks like icicles the way you he's make up for it he's miles away from not great in terms right. of quality of contact icicles um the way you can make up for it is by pulling the ball in the air a lot and he take he he makes use of that gimmick more than any other hitter in the majors to zisak paredes it's led to good home run totals the past two years over 30 last year if there's any slippage in that at all mm-hmm. he collapses and particularly because he plays for the Rays, who are looking to break in a ton of corner infielders, he can't afford any slippage at all. Uh, I I think there's a chance Isak Paredes is just being cut in fantasy leagues May 1st because they've already moved on to somebody else if he doesn't get off to a scintillating start. So I don't think the cost here is horrible, but... I, I think there's true like bottom out potential with Isak Paredes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if Venom is the opposite of Spider Man. So whatever the opposite of Spider Man, Isak Paredes and Alec Bohm are like the Spider Man meme, but opposites because like <laughs> could not be too like if Alec Bohm maximized his swing the way Isak Paredes did. I mean, he might hit 315 with 35 <laughs> homers. It's just yeah, he is so unoptimized in the way Isak Paredes is. Yeah, Alec Bohm, as you mentioned, Scott, it feels like a more useful pick in a deeper league, higher floor play, solid batting average, 
not going to kill you anywhere. He's just kind of a fine play. Should be a good source of RBI. Yeah. One thing I wanted to point out with Paredes, he led Major League Baseball qualified hitters in pop-ups. 19.7% mm-hmm. infield fly ball rate. Those are automatic outs. His XBA was 230. I mean, the floor uh, you, is just so Paredes low. You just about, kind right? of yeah, have Paredes. to look at Nolan Arenado, who still had a decent season last year, hit 26 homers, drove in a decent amount of runs, but like the OPS dropped like 110 points because when you have this approach, if you're not hitting home runs six rows up, you're doing nothing. Like you're not going to get singles. You're going to get very few doubles. It's it's an all. It's not just an all or nothing. It's a home run or nothing approach. And there, there's really no safety net there for that for that kind of profile. One point on Nathaniel Lowe. He took a big step back last year. I think it really comes down to his aggressiveness. If you look at his breakout 2022, he posted career highs that season in swing percentage and chase rate, and it worked out very well for him. I mean, he hit the 27 home runs, career high in OPS. The counting stats were there for him. He has to get back to that. I'm not sure it's going to. Uh, Very clearly, 2022 looks like the outlier for Nathaniel Lowe at this point. But if he gets back to that level, it's going to be because he's more aggressive here in 2024. Two names going between picks 200 and 250. Jamer Candelario, who also has third base eligibility. The ADP is 223.8. And Justin Turner with an ADP of 241. He is the 21st uh, first baseman off the board here. Candelario, Scott, I know we both have, have him as a sleeper, and I thought you summed it up very well in your article, is just kind of look at what Nick Castellanos did when he went over to Cincinnati. I think it's a great example. And the fact that the Reds paid Candelario... There is something they clearly like about the skill set. I think he's probably the safest one on their team in terms of playing mm-hmm. time this season. Yeah, no, that was a point Chris brought up earlier. Uh, I mean, the reason I make that comparison with Castellanos is Castellanos spent most of his career in Detroit, putting up pretty good numbers, went to Cincinnati and became a stud. Jamer Candelario spent most of his career in Detroit, put up fine numbers, goes to Cincinnati. I don't think he's going to have a stud outcome like Castellanos did his one full year in Cincinnati. But uh, StatCast estimates he would have hit 30 home runs if he had played every game in Cincinnati last year. He's not going to play every game, but he's going to play half his games in Cincinnati. I'm thinking like a 275 batting average with 25 home runs and good run in RBI production for Candelario. That's going to make him well worth this draft pick. Yeah, I I think similar to what we saw from Spencer Steer last year. Maybe a, a little more pop. Yeah, I think the fact that Candelario ran a little bit last year, too. He joins the Reds, who were the most aggressive team in baseball last year. They led Major League Baseball with 190 steals. I mean, the next closest team had 166. So I do think maybe uh, we we could see a career high in terms of steals from Candelario as well. I would prefer Candelario to Bohm and certainly Paredes. Justin Turner is the other name that I mentioned here. He's entering his age 39 season. I get that. I think he still has some juice left. He hit 276 last year, 23 homers, 96 RBI, and 800 OPS. He signed with the Toronto Blue Jays last week. He's going to be their DH, likely to play every day as long as he's healthy. You know, ended the year with a, a heel, a foot injury. So something to watch in spring training. Let's just make sure he's good to go for the start of the season. But if he's healthy, I think he's still going to be pretty good. That's Justin Turner. Five names going between picks 250 and 275. Ty France, Andrew Vaughn, Ryan Mountcastle, Josh Bell, Jose Abreu. Chris, these are like different variations of 
you know, you're going to hit anywhere from like 240 to 260 with 15 to 22 home runs. It just, it feels like a kind of, not the same skill set, but like similar. We, we have like close ranges here with, with these types of players at this point. Yeah, I think these are kind of replacement level fantasy first baseman. And I think if you're looking for two who could be more than that, I would say Josh Bell, just because he's been so streaky and we have seen stretches from him where he has, you know, really looked like a top 12 option. We've ranked him that way. And then we've seen stretches where he looks really, really bad. He was very good with the Marlins. And so if he carries that over and, and, you know, hits 26 home runs this season, I wouldn't be terribly surprised. The other one would be Ryan Mountcastle, who I think is just a victim of, look, God bless. I, I think the Orioles' decision to move their fences back has, it, it looks pretty good. I think the team is built for it. It's made their pitching staff look a lot better than I think they otherwise would, but it's really unfair specifically to Ryan Mountcastle who has taken a big, big step forward over the past couple of seasons as a hitter in a way that is not reflected in his production whatsoever in a way that I have to think is really frustrating for him. So <laughs> if he gets traded and or the Orioles are another team that probably has a few too many bodies, especially once you start looking at guys down in the minors, please trade Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah. Get, get Ryan. Like that's another one that if you played in Cincinnati, I think Ryan Mountcastle might hit 280 with 30 home runs. It's just where he's at is is really hard to to maximize what he's doing. Now, you led into that by saying two of these four players have the upside for more, and I genuinely wasn't sure which two you were going to say. Mountcastle is personally who I rank the highest of these four, Mm -hmm. but one who you didn't say was Andrew Vaughn. I kind of think he is who he is at this point, and I guess you do as well, but some people might still... uh, put the upside label on him just given his age and pedigree. And then Jose Abreu, this is a noteworthy stat. So he hit one home run through 61 games last year and then hit Mm -hmm. 17 home runs through his final 80 games. His overall numbers during that 80 game stretch where he was hitting 17 home runs still weren't amazing. But obviously that 61 came stretch where he homer just one dragged down his overall numbers quite a bit and he is in a good lineup i don't know he might be fine as a corner infield option i'm not going to say i'm excited to draft jose abreu but i'm not ready to completely bury him yet yeah i mean and even in a dreadful season he still drove in 90 runs last year he, he's that he's a legitimate rbi specialist and if he just has a decent season 100 RBI is not really asking too much from him. The Astros are paying him a lot of money. He's probably going to bet somewhere in the top six in that lineup. And Mm -hmm. there will be counting stat potential there for Jose Abreu. So a name I think you could look at as a corner infielder at this point. Two Yankees approaching the 300 pick range. I already mentioned Anthony Rizzo earlier. The ADP is 295.4. DJ LeMahieu also has third base eligibility going at pick 292.6. Injuries have taken a real toll on LeMahieu. He's 35 years old. Strikeout rate jump, jumped out last year. He did figure something out in the second half. His triple slash was 273, 377, 432 with eight home runs. He started pulling the ball more too. So I will just say there's a chance that something carries over here for LeMahieu. And there's also a chance that he leads off for that lineup yeah. and has, you know, <laughs> Soto and Judge and Rizzo batting behind mm-hmm. him. So. 
keep that. That is mind. that is the only reason why I'm not completely writing off LeMayhew at that point is because you can't ask for a much more optimal lineup spot than that. Still, can't say I'm terribly excited to draft him. Yeah, I think that's a 15 teamer. Yeah, only situation for me. Three names outside the top 300 picks. Kyle Manzardo with the Guardians. Alex Kirilov with the Twins. Nolan Chanuel with the Angels. Chris, I know uh, Kirilov is someone that you have hyped up as like a, a real deep league sleeper. Yeah, I think he's shown some, some skills at the major league level. Obviously hasn't been a, a difference maker, but last season, you know, OPS was right around 800. If I'm remembering correctly, I don't have it in front of me, but... You know, hopefully the shoulder issue that he had at the end uh, where he had surgery, apparently it wasn't as significant as they feared. It was mostly just a cleanup issue for him. So hopefully he's ready to go by opening day. And I still think Alex Kirilov is someone who, you know, could have some some post type sleeper appeal. Outside of the top 350 picks, we see Lamont Wade at 374.5, Ryan O'Hearn at 377, Carlos Santana, who just signed with the Twins this past weekend. His ADP is 390. He is slated to be their starting first baseman with Alex Kirilov at DH. Scott, obviously, this is some real deep league stuff, but anything on Lamont Wade, Ryan O'Hearn, Carlos Santana? I mean, I'll just say that for being really deep league stuff, for being this deep into the first base rankings, these don't seem like terrible options. They don't seem unplayable mm-hmm. if you get in a pinch. I mean, they all had stretches last year where I was putting them in my my 10 sleeper hitters for the upcoming week. So I think uh, you get into really deep leagues, ALN on only formats, certainly. These these might be guys to kind of highlight, to, to, to put a little asterisk beside as, okay, this is somebody I could target for cheap and, and get decent numbers from them. Outside of the top 400 picks, probably AL and only league type stuff at this point, but Rowdy Telez did sign with the Pirates this offseason, probably going to uh, be their starting first baseman. He was playing hurt last year, so maybe he can bounce back with a little bit of pop. Ryan Noda, the definition of three true outcomes, likely to be the starting first baseman for the Oakland A's. And Joey Gallo, we have seen players kind of revitalize their careers and break out with the Washington Nationals just getting playing time. We saw it with Candelario last year. We saw it with Lane Thomas. Joey Gallo's going to play. So just a name to know in the deepest of leagues. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. 